0: Hey, everybody, today's topic is the game changer's passion. We've been looking at a group of people who literally changed the world, and I don't wanna belabor that point because we've talked about that before, but they changed the world. Book of Acts chapter 17 says, the people who've turned the world upside down have come to this city as well. So they were game changers. They were world changers. What were they passionate about? For so long, I have heard two sayings Everybody wants to be a part of something great and nothing great happens without passion. So what are you passionate about? People used to say, do you want to know what your passion is? Show me your calendar and show me your checkbook. Now, nobody really uses a checkbook anymore. I write about five checks a year. But still, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? What are you passionate about? How you spend your time and your money tells us what you are passionate about. I've had so many people throughout the years tell me, like churchgoers, churchgoers that are there every single Sunday, and their family and friends will say to them, you spend an hour of your valuable time in church every single Sunday morning, and in some cases, because people go to Bible studies on Sunday morning, then they go to church or they volunteer. So in some cases, people are spending two and three hours in church Sunday morning on a volunteer team or some something like that, right? So family and friends will say, oh my gosh, you're spending two and three hours every single Sunday of your life in church? Are you crazy? And then add to that, you give 10% of your income in a tithe to church? Are you crazy? And then add to that, you spend an hour or two every single week throughout the week and group Bible study. Are you crazy? Add all that up. What are you doing? Is there a better way for you to spend your time and your money? What are you passionate about? If you're passionate about being a game changer and to make a difference in the world, where should you spend your time and money? And that brings up a pretty good question. What are Americans passionate about? Well, right now, uh, our teenagers are spending, and I don't mean because of COVID. I don't mean because they're having to go to school and look at a screen. I mean, just doing life. Our teenagers spend nine hours every day on screen time. And adults aren't far behind that. You know, I heard somebody say at the beginning of COVID, well, actually a couple months into COVID, they said, you know what? People are tired of screens. They work all day looking at screens, and so they're not gonna do screens for church. So you better figure out a better way to do church because people are tired for screens. And my immediate thought was somebody call Netflix and tell them it's over. Their whole business model is bankrupt because nobody's gonna look at screens anymore. We spend a lot of time in looking at screens, don't we? Now, I wanna take you back, everybody. I want to take you way, way back in time, all the way to the year 2020. Let's talk about what was the number one TV show of the entire 2020 season. What was the number one TV show? Can you remember back? You remember the Tiger King? I didn't watch but a couple episodes of that, but I know a lot of people really got into the Tiger King. Did you watch Tiger King? Seemed a little bit too much for me. I got into The Last Dance. I know people that watched The Tiger King through multiple times over and over again, watch the same thing. I was tempted to watch The Last Dance because that was absolutely fantastic, but I only watched it one time. But neither one of those, The Tiger King or The Last Dance, was number one. Do you know what TV show in 2020 was watched by Americans 57 billion minutes worth? Do you have any idea? The Office. We consumed, just on that one TV show, 57 billion minutes worth, or at least that's what she said, right? That's a lot of time. That's a lot. So what are we giving our passion? What are we giving our time? Now, how about money? Where we spend our time, where we spend our money, that's what we're really passionate about. Where should we spend it? Well, how do Americans spend their time and money? Well, rent and mortgage, right? That's number one. Tax is number two, and a car is number three. But after those big three, you know how we spend our money? Food and alcohol. Food and alcohol make us feel good. And then after that, it's impulse buying. And then after that, it's personal grooming so we can look good. So food and alcohol so we can feel good. Personal grooming so we can look good. That's how we spend it. How should a game changer spend their time and their money? What should we be passionate about. That's what I want to go after today. Now, if you are a teen or you're in your 20s, I want to grab your attention for just a second. So if you could focus in and just listen to what I have to say. If you're a teen or in your 20s, here's what we know. You have a greater passion for altruism and a greater sense of justice than previous generations. So if you're in the room with somebody who's the age 30 or above, you should just look at them and say, did you hear that? You have a greater sense of altruism and justice than previous generations. You are the hope of the world. Now, with that comes this, the great Proverbs that we've been mentioning, the great Proverbs, sorry, that we've been mentioning for the past couple of weeks, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right, but it leads to death. Now, we need wisdom, teens and 20s, to choose the right path because there's all these voices out there saying, go this way. And we're going to get into one of those paths in just a moment. Go this way. This is the way. This is the way that leads to justice. But there is a way, there's a clear path that has worked for 4,000 years. It is solid, it is true, it is proven, it works. There's all kinds of new plans that come up. They're all dying fads, but there's one plan that works and that's what we wanna dig into today. So Acts chapter one, verses one to four, that's our text for the day. Here's what it says. On the day of Pentecost, All the believers were meeting in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them Disability. I want to point out three things right in the beginning. This happened on the day of Pentecost. You see that at the beginning? I underlined it in verse number one. On the day of Pentecost, what's the day of Pentecost? So you had Passover, the freedom from slavery in Egypt, and then 50 days later, you go out to the desert, Mount Sinai, Pentecost was the celebration. That's why I'm filled, all behind me is filled with balloons everywhere. It's a celebration. Every year they celebrated the giving of God's word. Every year they had a festival. They had an all out party with a lot of joy. They were so excited about God's word. It was their passion. It was on Pentecost. Every year they did this. Oh, number of years ago, actually back in the mid nineties, I was at a church and there was a retired minister. His name was Dr. Bailey. And I told Dr. Bailey I had an opportunity to go to Israel. I told him that before church and he's like, you have to go. And I'm like, I don't know. I was in seminary. I don't think I can, I don't think I can come up with the money to go. He says, leave that to me. By the time church service got over, he ran up to me and he said, it's all done. You're going to Israel. Now listen, he spoke these words really, really, really important words to me. He says, listen, going to Israel will help you in your study of the Bible. Now, we're going to Israel this November. This isn't a sales pitch for our Israel trip because we already, we already I think we only have five spots left, so almost all of the spots are filled up. But I'm just saying this. When I went to Israel, it put me on a path towards understanding God's Word. I just had a sense there were some things I didn't understand, and going to Israel just opened that up. The reason I'm bringing all of this up right now at the beginning about Pentecost, Pentecost, was the celebration of their passion for the word of God. This is a game changer's passion. This is what's tried and true, and this is what works. The second thing you'll notice here is the word in the wind. You get that over and over again. Every time there's new life, And I'm going to read some passages for you in a moment in God's Word. There's this common theme of the Word and the wind. The wind is the Holy Spirit. The Word of God and the Spirit of God come together to bring new life. Now, what does new life mean? Other than just means life, but it also philosophically and theologically means meaning. I'm going to get into that in just a moment the historian Paul Johnson says this in writing about the Jewish people you have when the scriptures come into play when when the scriptures are first written you also have at that time for the first time by the Jewish people the question and the answer about the true meaning of life no one was asking that before and for the first time with the creation of the Bible and with the creation of the Jewish people, which simultaneously comes together, you have the meaning of life being discussed. Third thing, this is all languages. All languages, there here. And the traditional thought here amongst Jewish people is that when the word of God came down at Sinai, it was given in languages for all the world. Now, We know it was given in Hebrew, but the idea there is, is God's word is for all people. And that is represented here in Acts chapter two, because all languages and all people here. So this is for all people. And that's going to come up again in just a moment. But I wanted to place that thought into your mind at this point. Genesis chapter one, verses one to three. Notice the wind in the word again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God, there we go, the spirit of God, the wind was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. You have the wind and the word. You have the spirit of God and you have the word of God all there. Ezekiel 37. This is a fascinating, it's a prophecy. It's a prophecy about what happened on in Acts chapter two, that it was going to take place, that the wind in the word was going to come and there was going to be meaning to life and there was going to be hope and encouragement. Ezekiel 37, the power of the Lord came to me. His spirit brought me away from my home. He put me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Oh man, this is such verbal, you know, imagination here. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a huge number of bones in the valley. The bones were very dry. And the Lord asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Some of us are asking that question right now. We're thinking to ourselves, can these bones live again? Can I find meaning and hope to life? Is there hope for our world? And God here is saying, yes. Can these bones live? And I said, Lord, and king, you're the only one who knows. Verse four. Then he said, prophesy to these bones. Tell them dry bones. Listen to the Lord's message. The Lord and king speaks to you. He says, I will put breath in you. Then you will come to life again. I will attach tendons to you. I will put flesh on you. I will cover you with skin. So I will put breath in you and you will come to life again. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse seven. So I prophesied just as the Lord commanded me. And as I was prophesying, I heard a noise. There is hope. These bones can live again. You can have meaning in your life again. And it's gonna come because of the word of God and the spirit of God. Ezekiel seven, again, the word in the wind, the spirit of God and the word of God come together to bring meaning, to bring hope, to bring life. God's word says is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. But we have to be passionate about it and dig into it for us to find that meaning and to find that hope that is in God's word. If you want to create positive change for all people, then having a passion for the study of God's Word is by far the very best thing you could possibly do. Phil Zuckerman, who is a professor, wrote a piece for the Los Angeles Times. Here is the title of that piece. It has gained a lot of attention. Why America's Record Godlessness is Good News for the Nation. I'd like to read to you the first two paragraphs of of his piece in the LA Times again. The secularization of U.S. society, the waning of religious faith practice and affiliation is continuing at a dramatic and historically unprecedented pace. While many may consider such a development as cause for concern, such a worry is not warranted. This increasing godlessness in America is actually a good thing, to be welcomed and embraced. Democratic societies that have experienced the greatest degrees of secularization are among the healthiest, wealthiest, and safest in the world. Enjoying relatively low rates of violent crime and high degrees of well-being and happiness. Clearly the rapid loss or clearly a rapid loss of religion does not result in societal ruin. My question is this, how would you answer this professor? Like, what would you say reasonably back to this professor? Because again, this has gained a lot of attention. A lot of people reading this. A lot of people are saying, oh yeah, okay, I see that. Things are, things are pretty good in secular nations. So why do we need religion? So we're gonna have an open Zoom focused around this topic because we needed to we need to discuss this there are some things that needed need to be discussed. This is the beauty of biblical discipleship. We come together, we listen, we learn, we talk about issues like this, and we grow together. So the information is on the screen. It's Monday, April the 26th, 8 p.m., an hour-long open Zoom Q&A about this issue. I don't wanna get all into this issue. You know, I just wanna ask you how you would respond, but I will kind of throw it out there since I brought it up. Uh, I wonder if the ideals of the Bible that were rooted in Europe and were rooted in America had anything to do whatsoever with these countries, with these continents actually getting to the place that they're in. Now, second thing I'd bring up is when uh, Dr. Zuckerman here says that we're doing so well and we're being so healthy, I'm just wondering, has he checked out the mental health records of people living in America or Europe? Just two thoughts, just two thoughts to throw out there because there's uh, other people who have different things to say. So does life have meaning and where does it come from? Passion. John Paul Sartre. The French philosopher said this in talking about humanity. He said, humanity is a useless passion. Humanity is a useless passion. Albert Einstein said this about religion and about meaning of life. He said, to know an answer to the question, what is the meaning to human life means to be religious? Einstein went on to say that science without religion is Lame. So do we need religion? Do we need God or don't we? Are we just fine? Or are we just better off without God? Or do we absolutely need God to bring meaning to our lives? Carl Jung said, Among all my patients in the second half of life, there has not been one whose problem in the last resort was not that of finding a religious outlook on life and none of them had really been healed who did not regain his religious outlook. That's Einstein, that's Carl Jung. God says this in Isaiah 118, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Here's some thoughts about religion and God. Howard Putnam, who is a Harvard professor, writes in American Grace that religion is a powerful source of social capital. It creates shared belonging and mutual responsibility. And people who are worshippers of God tend to be far more uh, altruistic. They give. They volunteer. They'll help the homeless. They'll help uh, a stranger. They'll sit with a depressed friend. They'll give blood. They allow other people to cut them off in traffic. It seems to be... What Putnam says is that the worship of God brings people together. Now, we see that as a historical fact. There have been communes that are totally secular and there have been religious communes. And the communes that are religious last a whole lot longer than the secular ones because God brings people together. That's just a historical fact. A lot of sociologists like to look at birth rates right now. In secular countries, birth rate is going down, down, down. This is why people say religion is roaring back in the 21st century, because it is the most religious nations in the world that are having the highest birth rates. And it'll be those who will tend to grow up to be religious. What does all that mean, everybody? God brings people together, tried and true, factually studied. The data is there. God brings people together. And when people come together, some of them tend to fall in love with each other. And when they fall in love with each other, they tend to make babies. That's why there's a high birth rate. But the bottom of all that is, is God brings people together. We read over and over again in the book of Acts that they were all together Acts chapter one. They were all together. They came together. And what did they come together to do over and over again? To study. God's word. That's what they did and they came together. So God brings people together and that creates tremendous social capital. So I hear what Dr. Zuckerman here is saying, but it's not really rooted in historical truth in data over and over again. Well, we'll get more into that later. Bertrand Russell said, when you take God out of the equation, what you have is unyielding despair. So the game changers in the book of Acts, those that changed the world, were people of the book. Now, the Bible, like all religions of the world, has holy people and holy places. Yes, but far more important than holy people and holy places is holy words. That is what makes the Bible unique. God speaks Language. He creates the world. He creates meaning. He creates life. We speak. God, like, like this canister of helium that breathes life into the balloons, God breathes life into us and we become speaking beings. Adam names the animals, one of the first gifts he ever had. So we connect with God through words. And that is why they were people of the book, because words are important. It's why education and the study of God's word is what was so important in the book of Acts. So Pentecost every year, major celebration of God's word, joy, happiness. You just think about the longest chapter in the Bible. The 119th Psalm and all the incredible things that it says about God's Word. I rejoice in your Word. I can't wait to study your law. I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm overwhelmed by how much I love your regulations. Oh my gosh. They loved God's Word. They were people of the book. How do we connect with God? Through words, through words. We study God's word and we connect with God. We study God's word and we grow spiritually. We study God's word and we reflect God. It's all about the study of God's word. They were people of the book. In the book of Acts, they gathered all the time to study, study, study the very word of God. I just want to think about this for a sec. Just think about this. The first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the Torah, All the same thing, right? Those first five books, they were written. And then after they were written, the Jewish people for the next 1,000 years wrote about their reflections on those first five books. We call it Joshua to Malachi. For a thousand years, they wrote about how God's word makes sense and what it does in our lives and our world. And then after that, the third century B.C. up to the seventh century A.D., they wrote a commentary on the first five books of Moses. And then after that, for the next a thousand years, now we're up to three thousand years about writing about the first five books in the Bible. For the next thousand, they wrote a commentary on the commentary. And it wasn't until about the 18th century that the Jewish people began to write about mainly anything else other than the Bible. They just kept studying they just kept writing. They immersed themselves in the very word of God and it kept them. It held them. How about the alphabet? This is so important. There was only one original alphabet and every other alphabet in the entire planet came off of that first alphabet. Where do we get the name alphabet? What language was the first alphabet in? It comes from the very first two letters of Hebrew, which the Bible was written in. Aleph and Bet. It came out. Just think about this the Jewish people come into existence at the same time the word of God comes into existence, at the same time that the very first alphabet, which comes from the Hebrew letters alpha and bet, comes into existence. And what does it mean? Well, up until this point, everybody, if you wanted to communicate with somebody, There was all these symbols and hieroglyphics and pictures and stuff that you had. Some of the most complex communication systems had as many as 40,000 symbols. You know how hard it is to memorize all that? The least, the most basic one had 450 symbols. It was only a few elite people who could have that knowledge. But along comes the Hebrew alphabet, the first alphabet of them all, only 22 letters. You know what that meant? universal literacy. It meant that God's word and knowledge was for all people, not a literate elite. And now what you have is literacy leading to dignity. Now, I've been reading for quite some time Frederick Douglass's book, and it's a big book, right? David Blight's book about Frederick Douglass. And I remember the story when Douglass was in Baltimore, when he was still young, and he had a thirst for knowledge, and the slave master's wife began to teach him how to read. And finally, the slave master found out about it and they said, stop, no, no, made his wife, got mad at his wife. You can't teach him. You know why? Because we keep literacy and we keep knowledge away from people to dehumanize them. And so God says, no, 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 universal literacy. 22 letters. And so at the same time that the world begins to talk about meaning, the same time the Jewish people come together as a people, is the same time the alphabet and the word of God comes into play because that brings meaning to all people. And the greatest heroes of the people of the book, the Jewish people who wrote the book, are their teachers. They are educators Deuteronomy, teach your children when you get up and when you sit down, when you go out and when you come in. You know what that's saying? Teach, teach, teach all the time. The Jewish people are the first people to have a compulsory educational system and they did it almost 2,000 years before America or England did it. That's how important education is. Everybody, we need to study, study, study the very word of God. Literacy leads to dignity. The longest chapter in the entire Bible is a celebration of God's Word, Psalm 119. I'm just going to read you a couple snippets from it. It is so good. It is a joy to follow your instructions. It is a joy to obey your laws. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I rejoice in your laws. I will study your commandments. Open my eyes to your wonderful truths. I am overwhelmed with my desire for your regulations. This is how Jesus said it in Matthew 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's just not a verse in the Bible. It is a historical fact. Superpowers have come and gone. Superpowers that have oppressed and enslaved and sought to eliminate the Jewish people. They have come and gone. Egypt. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the Nazis, and yet, even though those superpowers, the longest lived in the history of the world is the Egyptians, 2,000 years of superpower, most only make it about 250 years, the Jewish people, the people of the book who have studied God's word, and it is the word of God that have kept them together, whether they had a land or they didn't have a land, for four thousand years. God's word triumphs and we should study the word of God. And here's something incredibly unique about the Jewish people. You think about it, just think about it in America. What did you have first? Did you have the land or did you have the law? Well, we had settlers here for decades and decades and hundreds of years. And then after you had the land for all that time, then you had the law. After you had the country, then you had the constitution, not so Not so with Israel. It is the only time in the history of the world that I have ever known that what you had is a group of people set free from Egypt, free from slavery, out into the desert, that God gives them his law and his constitution on the day of Pentecost, which we are studying today, on the day of Pentecost in which they celebrate with a joyous celebration, that they get the law first, they get the constitution first, and then they go into a land. And they have been a people who has sometimes had a land and didn't have a land, but God's word is true, Leviticus 26, even when you don't have a land, I will sustain you by my word. King Louis XIV was having a conversation one day with Blaise Pascal, and he said, Blaise, give me one reason, give me one reason why I should believe in a supernatural God that is at work in this world, and Blaise said back, your majesty, the Jews, the Jews. So everybody, let me wrap this up by saying this. It's clear from history that God's word And the people on the book have been around for 4,000 years. It's tried and true. But oftentimes, we hear something like this. Now, we remember, we began by talking about passion. We began by talking about people saying, oh my gosh, you're going to church, you're studying the Bible, you're giving your money, all this kind of stuff. There is no better place to give your passion to than the study of God's Word. But sometimes people say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't want to become a fanatic. Here's the thing. It's the people who just stay in the shallow ends of God's Word They're the ones who get it seriously misunderstood and cause lots of problems. Jonathan Swift has a great quote. Just listen to this. He says, we have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love. That is so true. If you go deep in God's word, you'll find yourself loving God. Loving yourself and loving others to a degree that you never thought possible. It is the beauty and the power of the Word of God. We have Bible studies, I said just a few moments ago. We're going to start a study this next fall, right before we go into our brand new space at the Boston Quarter, which I'm so excited about. We're going to dig in to the most meaningful work of literature ever. The first five books of Moses And how it told us that God is a God of justice, equality, and dignity. And when we root ourselves in the power of God's word, as they did in the book of Acts, anything is possible. Greatness is possible. And so I just want you to be passionate about that. Passionate about signing up for a community group. Passionate about coming to church on Sunday. Passionate about studying, not reading, the very word of God. A passion for the word of God is what will change the world. God's word stands, and that's not a Bible verse. That is a historical fact. Do you want to change the world? Have a passion to be a student of the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your powerful word. Please help us all, Lord, to become magnificent students of your incredible word, that you have gifted us with, in Christ's name. Amen.